Hello everyone and a very special welcome back to True Crimes on Tuesdays. Uh, I just want to say we get into this episode, sorry in advance to everybody who's had to wait to get this episode on, on their Spotify or wherever you're listening to it from. My laptop didn't want to upload any of the recordings I did over the weekend and I'd spent about six hours going through the files, putting them together, editing them, and making sure that they were perfect for you guys. But uh, as I said in my first episode, uh, I'm not very good with technology, and it didn't really agree with me today either. So I'm actually sitting here now halfway uh, through Tuesday re-recording this episode for you guys, but I will still give it the same enthusiasm as I did the episode I recorded over the weekend. I also just want to say thank you to everybody who streamed the first episode last week. It got a couple hundred plays in the first five or six days, which is pretty cool. Um, and for anyone who's not aware, I'm actually starting to put up uh, polls every week on my Instagram at True Crimes on Tuesdays for you guys to pick the next true crime case I cover the following Tuesday. This case today, Kendrick Johnson was up against the case of Ed Gein, who's a famous American serial killer. And I, it was something like 52, uh, 52 of you wanted this Kendrick Johnson case and 48 of you wanted the Egin case, so as you can see quite close. Uh, and I think it's a great way to get you guys involved, so if you want to check that out, if you're starting to enjoy these episodes, then it's True Crimes on Tuesdays at Instagram. And with that, guys, let's get into this week's episode. So guys, we are jumping over the pond, so to speak. We're actually heading from the UK to America for this case today to one of the southern states, Georgia. And we're heading to this very small little city called Vladosta. It's got about 50,000 inhabitants and it's quite rural. It's in the outbacks of Georgia. The next uh, big city is Jacksonville, which is about 120 miles away from uh, Vladosta. So it's quite a small place to live, but it is described as a very uh, quiet, well-off town. And it's very community-centered. A lot of the schools as well are very well off very rich they are the sort of schools that you know a lot of the students who attend them uh, tend to go off to the more advanced more superior colleges in america and uh, as well as that it's actually also uh, a very well-known city for having very high living standards but very low living costs it's actually in the top 20 best places to live in america very cheap living standards as i say uh, housing uh, is really not that expensive in vladosta compared to the rest of america and you can get a really nice i mean i looked up i looked up a couple of the markets uh, in vladosta and you can get some very nice flats and houses for really not too much money compared to a lot of other places in America. But, you know, as I say, Vladosta, it's a small community-centred uh, little city. And this is where Kendrick Johnson was born in October 1995. And he was born to his mum, Jackie, and his dad, Kenneth. And he had two older siblings as well. And they were a very close-knit family. Uh, all of Kendrick's siblings and his parents completely adored him. They described him as a very quiet, very shy, but fun-loving and easygoing guy. He had a small group of friends and outside of hanging out with this tiny little group of friends, he was very content to just sort of chill with his family. He was sort of a guy who preferred the smaller things in life, was very content, very easygoing, didn't really need too much to be happy. And this is where we find ourselves in 2013, the year that uh, Kendrick dies. He is uh, attending one of the schools in Vladosta, and it's called uh, Lowndes High School. It's spelled L-O-W-N-D-E-S for anybody who wants to look it up. And it's a pretty big high school. It's got about 3,000 students. Um, 
that is a massive school. My uh, high school I went to here in the UK only had about 800 students, I think, in total across five years. This school accommodates uh, 3,000 students in four years. So as you can imagine, it's about 800, 700, 900 kids per year. I don't know the math, uh, but it's pretty big, pretty easy to get lost in this school. And as I say, Kendrick was a very quiet guy, uh, stuck to a small group of friends, but he was actually well known around the school because he was described as a free trick athlete. For anyone who doesn't know what that phrase means it means someone who excels in three different sports and Kendrick did that he was a excellent runner on the track he played American football and he also played basketball and he was actually on his way to getting a scholarship to college under his American uh, football abilities uh, and uh, as anybody knows in America to go to college on a scholarship is a very very big thing so to get one in sport you know his it's pretty it's a great sort of uh step to be taken and uh Kendrick actually had dreams of going to play on the NFL stage so you know getting big time in the American football but in uh, January 2013 he was just working his way through the school months trying to keep up with his good grades and attendance so that his scholarship would then you know hold through and he'd be able to go off to college uh under his American football scholarship. So, you know, he, uh, by all accounts, is quite a quiet guy, very uh, sort of hangs around his small little group of friends. But when he gets onto the pitch, he's a bit of a weapon to be up against. And if you want to look Kendrick up online, or if you want to head over to my Instagram at True Crimes on Tuesdays, where I've uploaded some photos of him and some crime scene photos, which were released by Kendrick's family, then you can look at them and get a picture of the kind of guy he was. Pretty big geezer. I think he was about six foot tall at the time he died. And you, if you look, he's got huge wide shoulders obviously he's an American football player so that's kind of what you need so he's not really the sort of guy that you would necessarily want running towards you on the pitch but he that's what he excelled in and uh you know so up until January 2013 very normal lifestyle for the Johnson family Kendrick was very as I say easy going so just went to school hung out with his friends attended his various little um clubs he did obviously track american football and basketball and then would come back home from school and this was no different on january the 10th 2013 kendrick woke up that day uh his mum jackie was already downstairs and he told her that he was going to be heading off to school but he wasn't going to be coming home at the usual sort of free half free time because he was attending a freshman basketball game after school with some of his mates and that he would be back at around 5 p.m. Obviously, this is, you know, very normal. Uh, and Jackie says that she was perfectly fine with this. Uh, Kendrick, uh, I've always said, is a very family-centered guy, so he's not really the sort of person to... Um, lie or uh, be late so when he said he's going to be home at sort of 5pm Jackie knew he would be home at 5pm and he then leaves the house and goes off to school and that is unfortunately the last time any of the Johnson family hear or see their beloved son sibling um, and then the day sort of goes by and uh, Kendrick eventually doesn't come home at 5pm and Jackie's immediately worried by this because Kendrick is this sort of kid as I say who's very family orientated so if he's going to be late home or if he's going to be stuck somewhere he usually leaves a, a message to his mum or his dad on you know the house phone or their uh, individual mobile phones but by about 8pm there was none of this Kendrick hadn't got into contact with uh, either Jackie or any of his siblings or his dad and so at around 8pm, Jackie herself gets into the car and starts driving the routes between the school and their house to see if she can kind of spot Kendrick anywhere or see any signs of 
uh, him, uh, she goes to the school, drives around school, thinking perhaps he's maybe locked in the school by accident, uh, and there's still no signs of Kendrick anywhere, and at about midnight, she then does the first step of involving the authorities, and she calls up the uh, the police on 911, and this is the first time we see the police not really doing anything to sort of help out, and you could probably say this is the start of the racist sort of undertones of this whole entire investigation because when Jackie calls the police uh, at around midnight on 911 the dispatcher says to her and I quote that he is Kendrick Kendrick is probably out with some bushy-tailed girl anybody who doesn't know what that phrase is don't worry it basically just means that he's out with some girl who uh, perhaps has a bit of a, a loose leg is another phrase they call it but basically implying you know, he's just out doing doing things that, you know, he shouldn't really be doing or he, you know, he's out, you know, with a girl somewhere. And that was kind of the the position that the police had. And I do just want to add in here uh, that the police, when they get a call to their 911 uh, dispatches, the dispatches will ask for the identification of the person, whether they're injured or deceased or missing. So it's very likely that the dispatcher, we don't know who the dispatcher is, uh, has Kendrick's, uh, you know, page uh so to speak on their screen as they were talking to jackie's mom and maybe that was the reason you know they made assumptions from kendrick's uh appearance that he was out with some bushy tail girl we don't know but very uh very bad policing from the outset and once the dispatcher effectively hangs up on jackie jackie's left on her own no one comes to help her from the police force she drives around valdosa for a couple more hours trying to find her son and there is no police help whatsoever at 4am though a police officer does call back to see if kendrick has made himself uh, has made an appearance anywhere and obviously we know that he hasn't at this point and this also is a bit confusing because although the police do call up at 4am to see if Jackie has a son when she tells him he she doesn't they don't do anything again she's sort of just left to continue waiting up and searching for her son and it gets to the point in the morning now of the 11th of January where Kendrick is still nowhere to be seen and Jackie goes to the school at around 8 or 9 a.m. to see if the counsellor or the receptionist knows what could have possibly happened to Kendrick. She's wondering, you know, at this point whether, as I say, Kendrick might have just been locked in the school. There could have been an incident after the basketball game. He might have gone to someone else's house to stay for the night and just forgotten to tell um, tell Jackie. And so Jackie gets to the school and she heads up to the reception and the receptionist types in Kendrick's name into the computer files and lets Jackie know that Kendrick actually hasn't attended any of his lessons the day before. And for anyone who uh, immediately thinks this is a bit concerning, Jackie and the receptionist at the school also find this concerning because like I say, Kendrick was uh, on scholarship to go to college via his uh, uh, sporting abilities and in America especially, it's not quite the same here, but in America, you know, going to college on your sporting abilities is a huge thing and it's something that you once you get the offer you have to maintain a certain level to show your commitment which usually means you know turning up to all your lessons making sure your works are you know like an a grade standard and Kendrick had been very devoted to this had been trying real hard to maintain a good attendance and to 
get really good grades. So to hear that he was not there present for any of his afternoon classes yesterday is concerning for Jackie and the receptionist. And so the receptionist takes Jackie to the school counsellor and they sit in the counsellor's office for a couple hours sort of going over ways to tell students, teachers and parents that uh, Kendrick is missing. They start uh, putting together some sort of uh, missing posters to be put up around the school and local community. This is all broken though at about 10am when the school counsellor gets a phone call from a gym teacher to inform her that they have found a body in one of the mats in the gymnasium. And now, again, this is another area of kind of um, really like why this kind of happened the way it did. But no one uh, told Jackie that her son was found deceased for a couple hours later. And this isn't because, you know, it took ages for the scene to be uh, searched and for them to make an identification. The police actually arrived at 10.30 a.m., so about 25 minutes after the phone call to corner off the area and to uh, identify the body. So they knew who uh, the who the chap was, obviously Kendrick, by about midday, but Jackie did not find out for hours and hours and hours after that this was her beloved son. And I'm just gonna describe the condition that Kendrick was found in, because it's pretty horrifying. But Kendrick was found by one of the uh, kids at the school. There was a gym class going on at 10 a.m. that morning and the gym teacher had just handed around surveys to the students to fill out. One of the girls noticed a sort of um, a shiny like white object sticking out of these mats. These mats are six foot tall, I just want to add in. So when they're standing up, they're pretty tall. You know, these are mats which sort of wrestlers uh, at the school games and uh, gymnastics students sort of land on when they're doing all the, the, you know, the higher technical stuff. So they're pretty big, pretty strong mats. Um, but she notices a, a pair of white socks sticking out the top of one of these mats. And so she climbs up onto the top of the mats again. It's six foot, it's quite a quite a feat. But she gets up on top of the mats to look further at what this is. And then she realizes that this isn't just a pair of white socks sticking out. This is actually a whole person sticking out uh, upside down from this mat. And at first she thinks that this is just uh, a student having a bit of a prank, having a bit of tomfoolery. She doesn't really um, think that there is anything to be concerned about. So she sort of just kind of joshes around thinking that this person is playing a bit and then realizes after a couple of minutes that this is in fact someone who's not awake, not breathing. And this is where we get the teacher coming over to uh, check and realizing that it is a deceased person and calling the counselor and the police. And if you go to my Instagram, I've left a link in the bio this week of the uh, to the 911 dispatcher call uh, from the gym teacher. So if you want to listen to that, then please do. But uh, as I say, the police arrive at about 10.30 a.m. And the first thing they do is corner off the scene and they pull down the mats and get Kendrick's body out. Kendrick is found uh, stuffed at the bottom of these mats. Again, as I say, it's six foot about his height with his feet just sticking out. And when they pull him out, uh, the first thing they notice is that Kendrick's body is crumpled effectively. Um, They find him with his shoulders sort of crushed up towards his uh, ears in a sense and forwards in front of his face with one of his arms extended outwards. Um, And one of the other things they notice about Kendrick is that he's very puffy at the time. They believed it was just due to him being, you know, confined in a small, dense space for such a long time. We will find out that these were actually bruises to his body, but they thought that he was just uh, very puffy from being uh, 
contained inside this map for so long. And the police pretty much straight away are on site with this accidental. Uh, the autopsy is done pretty quickly and they come back with the uh, conclusion that he died from positional asphyxia. For anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's basically just being someone where you trap yourself in such a dense space, you uh, suffocate yourself uh, in this space and that's obviously the way you go. And the police believe that this was accidental from Kendrick's behalf and that he had just very unfortunately got himself stuck in this mat and had died from positional asphyxia they also noted that he likely had a brain hemorrhage as i say when you're upside down for at this point where uh, when he was found at 10 a.m they he was upside down for 21 hours so you know gravity bloods rush into the heads um uh, a lot of things happen when that when that is the case it's pretty grim but he, he had a brain hemorrhage there was actually a lot of blood um and vomit coming out of kendrick's sort of uh nose mouth and ears um, and you know, it's a pretty grim way to go, but there is very likely that by the time that Kendrick would have suffered this brain hemorrhage, he would have been unconscious anyway. So, you know, it's horrifying, but at least he probably wouldn't have felt the effects of that brain hemorrhage. A few things which we need to just talk about, which were found at the scene any uh, straight away, which should have been clear indications that this wasn't accidental, but were not investigated by the Georgia Police Department. Uh, the first was that there was a splatter of blood on the opposite side of the gym wall. Um, and uh, police quickly ruled this out as Kendrick's or perhaps the suspects. It was never actually tested, which you would think would be one of the first things police would do. But they didn't test it because another student from the school informed them that it was actually from a uh, fellow student the night before. There had been some sort of uh, event in th that gymnasium the day before. Not the basketball game, may I add, but a different event. And um, there had been, you know, some sort of scuffle or something. And one of the students had ended up um bleeding and had got the blood on the wall but this obviously was never tested this blood this uh this uh reasoning was never investigated so for all you know it could be a lie really police didn't investigate it which is um another reason why a lot of people think that this is you know perhaps down to sort of a racial thing they just wanted to get this case over and done with because he was a young black boy they didn't want to kick up the fuss all that sort of stuff so it wasn't investigated that this blood on the wall could perhaps have been Kendrick's or the suspects. It was simply just left, uh, probably wiped off and, you know, gone into the abyss of existence. But another thing as well, which um, was in the scene, which should have been a, to any uh, detective with a functioning good brain, it should have been a sign that perhaps something wasn't quite right, was that there was a singular jumper found just a couple meters away from the map which Kendrick was found in. And this jumper had not been claimed by anyone i also just want to say that you know this jumper was still there when the whole entire gymnasium had been cornered off as a crime scene uh, and that the police and the medical professionals were in there no student had come no teacher had come to collect this jumper it was obviously just been abandoned very likely that this jumper perhaps because uh was the one of the suspects or perhaps kendrick's uh we don't know but it should have really been tested if it was uh left unclaimed but so close to the vicinity of a of a death it should have been tested really but it wasn't tested by the police department uh, uh, in fact we don't know really what happened to this jumper it's probably just gone into the lost and found never to be found again um but really it should have been tested by police uh, along with the blood splatter to just rule them out but as i say lots of issues with this investigation from the very start lots of problems with uh, uh undertones of racism 
So it was just, you know, these two quite crucial things were just sort of left to, you know, never really be spoken about. And the case was ruled accidental. And also the case was ruled accidental before any official inquiry, um, before the uh, CCTV in the school was released or anything like that. They just ruled it accidental. So there was no real uh, research by the police into this case. Um, Another thing as well which sticks out is that the the testing and the DNA and data which was taken from Kendrick's body and the crime scene uh, on the first initial uh, first response wasn't actually stored uh, for potential further use. It was just uh, destroyed after the conclusion was ruled that this was accidental. You can say what you want about that, but it's pretty shocking police work there. Could potentially be down to um, a this idea of perhaps maybe this being a cover up for something, but uh, you know it just sounds like they got rid of it because this was frankly just shocking police work. Um, and it took a couple of weeks as well for this footage from the CCTV cameras in the school to be released into the public domain. Obviously, there are concerns, you know, the police do have to go through legal procedures at that point. This is uh, CCTV footage showing other minors. So a lot of clearing has to be done before it can be put out into public domains. But it was eventually put out into the media. And um, the initial response to the uh, CCTV being released and to the investigation being made public was quite limited. There wasn't really much of a of a um, of uh, a general consensus to find out what happened among the community of Valdosa, and so the Johnson family then took their own steps to get this case some um, public you know national international attention and once they had been released the uh, crime scene photos and autopsy photos to them which I say took a couple of weeks the Johnson family then started to circulate these images out online and through the community as I say you can go over to my Instagram at true crimes on Tuesdays to have a look through the uh the crime scene photos that the uh, Johnson family released. I do just want to say though that they're pretty graphic, not very nice stuff to look at. So you have been warned, but it is quite a good idea to look at these photos to get a sort of idea of how this couldn't have been accidental because of the damage that Kendrick's body had suffered. Um, and once the CCTV footage and once these crime scene photos were out and that the Johnson family had started disputing them, sorry, uh, it got a lot of attention. And in fact, the Governor Attorney General of Georgia at the time, Michael Moore, had this case reopened due to the significant public interest in it after the Johnson family circulated these photos. And a second autopsy was conducted later on in 2013, and the outcome of this autopsy is completely different to the outcome of the original autopsy. The second autopsy autopsy concluded that the, there were bruises around uh, Kendrick's neck, chest, and arms consistent with blunt force trauma. There, there was also a huge bruising on the right side of his neck. Um, again, if you go look at the crime scene photos, it was originally thought that this was just puffiness from being, you know, trapped inside upside down in this map for so long you know the blood rushing down puffiness puffiness from blood effectively but uh, it was later concluded that this massive bruise on the right side of Kendrick's neck and chest was consistent with an inflicted injury and this inflicted injury was non-accidental and likely non-self-inflicted so you can obviously see from the very start that police should have noticed that this was uh, there was something not quite right here i mean when you look at the photos the crime scene photos you can quite clearly see straight away that this is not um 
just accidental uh, bruising. It's not just puffiness from you know the blood uh, contracting in the upper part of the body. Uh, it's it's very clearly uh, big bruises on his uh, shoulder, chest, and neck. But you you know this second autopsy is. Um, then conducted and released into the public domain itself and it gets a lot of uh, feedback from online sleuths and interest in the public and media and it allows the Johnson family to state what they think had happened to Kendrick and this is the official statement from the Johnson family of the sort of uh, ideas they have around why Kendrick might have been murdered and it is that about 16 months prior to Kendrick's death he had gotten into a fight with uh, a group of boys in the school and there are two boys in particular who uh, we are going to focus on. They're actually uh, brothers. And these two boys uh, have said in uh, their interviews in the media that they were friends with Kendrick. Although Kendrick's family have constantly said that these boys were not friends with Kendrick. Like I say, Kendrick had a very small group of friends. So his parents knew who his friends were. And these two boys, two brothers, were never mentioned as Kendrick's friends. And this fight was... You know, not just like, a, you know, your typical boys fight. It was an actual quite a, a rough fight, quite an aggressive fight. And it was a fight that even 16 months on uh, up to the point that Kendrick died had actually left a rift between Kendrick and these two brothers. It was sort of a unspoken, you know, like a hatred rivalry in the school. And the main reason that these boys became the focus of the uh, conspiracy theories and investigation is because, as I say, this ongoing uh, rivalry was still active when Kendrick died in January 2013. And that both these boys, these brothers, um, were actually from a family of high-ranking FBI members. Their dad was a top, top dog in the FBI and not just, you know, not just a standard agent, but a very well-connected uh, person in both government uh, uh, in lines as well as the Secret Service FBI lines. And so, you know, after the first and second autopsy, the case still wasn't investigated properly by the police and the uh, government, uh, different parties involved in this investigation. And the family of Kendrick believe that this is purely because there was some sort of cover-up via the brothers and their family because as I say they're very highly connected in the FBI and um, this cover-up was simply done so that the police and school could stop this case from exploding within the news, stop getting a bad reputation for the community of Valdosa and also to stop the question of FBI's authority and its racial stance which obviously has been uh, constantly criticised in the public domains in America for a long time because there are lots of issues with racism uh, inside these top you know ranking secret service uh, agencies in America and so this is kind of where the the theory comes from that these two boys had some sort of play in Kendrick's death uh, uh, but it was kind of disproven very quickly by both boys both boys had pretty strong alibis to why it couldn't have been them the first boy the younger boy was actually at a boxing match on the day and the bus that he had taken to the boxing match from the school had left at 11 30 in the morning on the 10th Kendrick was last seen on CCTV at roughly 1pm that day, so the younger boy was, you know, completely alibi for Kendrick's death, he was on the other side of the state at that point. There was um, a bit of online sleuthing in 2014 to kind of uh, prove this wrong. The uh, the first boy had, um, as I say, said that he got on a bus at 11.30 to go to a boxing match, but it was later found out that the uh through logbook uh, logbook sorry that was found on the internet that this boxing match hadn't actually started till 4 p.m. so there was a bit of concern ar around the um the timings of why 
it took about four hours, four and a half hours to get there. I mean, as I say, this is rural outback Georgia, but it's not, you know, it's not like it's going to take, you know, 120 miles to drive to the next state, the next big city. Um, you know, that's two hours of driving at best. Uh, and this obviously wasn't 120 miles away, this boxing match. It was quite close to the vicinity. So it's a bit of concern around that, but it was actually eventually proven that this was, uh, the, the bus did leave at 11.30 a.m. and that the younger of the two boys was on the bus. So couldn't have been there for Kendrick's murder at roughly 1 p.m. He was off the school site, you know, an hour and a half before. And the second boy, the uh, order of the two brothers, uh, was caught on CCTV camera uh, at around 12.30 midday on the uh, 10th. And he uh, was on the other side of the gym, outside on the other side of the gym, but he actually even though he was in the vicinity uh, at the same time as Kendrick was in class at about 1pm on that afternoon. There. So he wouldn't have been able to be in there for Kendrick's uh, murder. But again, you know, could have been, as I say, that there's these, the CCTV is very limited. It literally covers the two outsides of the gym. Uh, anybody who's ever been into a gym hall knows that there's about 15 exits from any gym hall at one time because there's fire exits literally left, right and centre, which wouldn't have been covered by a CCTV camera. So it is possible that perhaps, you know, this order of the boys or whoever did it, did escape from being seen by anyone via these sort of uh, back exits. But, uh, you know, he was in class at 1pm, so it's kind of hard to say that he would have been there. So... By 2014, both of these boys had been cleared of any involvement in the case. Uh, their alibis were, you know, deemed strong enough to be true. Uh, and the boys were dropped and cleared of any involvement. But it didn't mean that they got away scot-free. The elder of the boys actually lost his scholarship to college around the controversy of this case and the apparent racism running through not just his family, but the, the whole organisation that his family was a part of. So a little bit of... um. A little bit of payback there, I guess you would say, for this boy's, you know, could have been involvement in this case. But, you know, 2014's here and the police are no closer to finding out any sort of idea of what happened to Kendrick. And this was the same in March 2015 when the Johnson family actually decided to sue not just the school, not just the family of the two brothers, but also all investigating authorities, so the police force, some of the part, some uh, government officials and some uh, other investigation agencies such as the FBI. And the Johnson family sued all of these collective institutions for $100 million, uh, in a civil lawsuit. The reasoning was that they felt that the trauma, the bias and unlawful investigation and their personal treatment had been so bad that this money was needed to sort of compensate for them. And amazingly, uh, this case, not only did the Johnson family lose this civil lawsuit, but they were actually then ordered to uh, pay quite uh, just how this managed to get pushed through the courts. But the Johnson family were then asked to pay £300,000 uh, sorry, US dollars to the family of the two brothers in compensation for their legal fees and public embarrassment due to this case. Again, just what the fuck, how did that even get through the uh, official channels that this was turned around from this family who had just lost their son, uh, you know, complaining about their treatment and the pretty shit investigation. Um, how did it go from them, you know, putting their claim for 100 million to them actually then having to pay the people they were suing for their own legal fees 
pretty concerning but as i state this is southern america and this is even though it's 2013 2013 you know we hadn't seen quite the same amount of uh awareness uh wokeness as it's often referred to in the sort of black civil rights in the 21st century in 2013 so you can kind of maybe put this down to the uh the racism that was obviously very uh harshly felt during this investigation by not only the Johnson family but public domains as well um could it possibly do uh be something to do with the family the brothers FBI connections uh perhaps this caused the the uh the investigating uh judge or the uh lawyers of the Johnson slash the two brothers families to somehow come to this sort of agreement to get this case switched up and to end up getting the Johnson family to pay out three hundred thousand. I mean, it's crazy, but it it is what it is. And by 2017, 2018, this case had actually gone no further. The family obviously had just paid out a pretty big sum of money to the two brothers' families, and they had been left alone. Um, since 2015 there have been no further attempts to get this case solved in 2018 the case was so cold that michael moore as i say who was the former government attorney general at this point uh had this case dropped from his uh list of cases that he was you know funding to get investigated um probably because it was very expensive i imagine there's probably other reasons to that as well as that the fbi and the georgia the police police department ruled in late 2017 that there was no legal evidence for wrongdoing slash criminal activity in this case and so it was again ruled accidental um and that kind of leaves us at the end of 2018 with no further information or no further attempts to get this case solved all sort of changes when this guy who we all know uh, called Anonymous, uh, who's a very famous online hacker slash uh, social activist, he uh, actually calls out the police departments in Georgia for their lack of proper investigation, not only into this case, but into other cases, uh, and publicly confronts them for their racism. As I say, um, Anonymous is a pretty big uh, character in uh, the online world uh, and this video I think got a couple million uh, views in the first sort of couple of days. Very big stuff and it actually got this uh, case back into the public limelight uh, and it actually led to a third autopsy in late 2018 which again confirmed that blunt force trauma was the result of Kendrick's death. So here we are now actually in 2020 at the turn of the decade and the case is still cold even with three autopsies and two of them confirming that this was not accidental as well as the online uh, anonymous getting involved the police were still no further to investigate in this case it was actually closed at this point in march 2020 um the authorities still believed it was accidental but you know how how it was it ruled accidental even in the first place is just beyond comprehension but in 2020 uh, uh, a individual who was a former student at the school came forward to say that they knew of or that they were it's not really clarified because it was eventually this comment was thought to be a hoax so it was never really investigated but this former student uh confirmed that kendrick was hit by a 45 kilogram dumbbell uh which had killed him and that it was by as i said either him or a former student in the school but uh, the police took this as a hoax rather than truthful. It was investigated and obviously it just disappeared back into the abyss. Uh, wasn't ever taken seriously. And for anybody who might be thinking that, okay, well, perhaps this was accidental and it was positional asphyxia, I do just want to say that between 2010 and 2016, out of all autopsies um, 
conducted and this comes from a Lithuanian study which focused uh, just on this only 0.03% of the autopsies came back with the confirmed death as being positional asphyxia actually since the term positional asphyxia entered the public uh, uh, police and media departments in the 1990s there's only ever been 37 recorded cases of people dying from this uh, positional asphyxia and they tend to be people who uh, are overweight have diabetes who are you know limited mobility anyway one of the first cases was a woman who got trapped between her bed and the wall and she was overweight had diabetes and just simply suffocated because she was unable to move herself not something you would it's not really sort of a death that you put down to a very fit very healthy very agile very strong 17 year old guy it's sort of a death that happens to people who as i say have limited mobility are overweight or diabetes have you know constricted blood vessels anyway so it's not really a death that you would perhaps um put down to someone like kendrick especially when he was incredibly fit incredibly healthy at the point that he did sadly pass away um and i also just want to say a couple of things from me as well, what I kind of think about this, uh, obviously it's not accidental, hence why I'm covering it, hence why I put in the title murder, it is very clearly a murder, but I actually don't think it could have been these two brothers, purely one, because they have been alibied and there is evidence which confirms that they were not in the vicinity at the time, as much as you might want to pin it on these boys and blame them for their quite obvious uh, racism, as I say again, this family definitely had something covered up uh maybe perhaps it was just you know the the rivalry between kendrick and these two brothers who were white i also just want to add in maybe the fbi uh authorities did actually cover this up just to save the public embarrassment of this family uh, as i say you can find them on the internet very easily these two boys and their families they are quite a notorious georgian family it's not just um you know your everyday sort of little uh city family this is quite a well-known group of uh, individuals the dad is as i say high-ranking fbi member so perhaps there was some sort of covering up from this family but i do probably think it was just them covering up this rivalry between the two boys to save the elder of the two brothers scholarship to uh college which obviously didn't happen because he eventually got dropped by all the colleges which were interested in him so that's good but um i also think that this uh kendrick was width-wise from shoulder to shoulder 17 inches across uh, and this mat that he was found in was 14 inches across in space so as I say Kendrick was found very crumpled up it's not really a space that someone could get into if you're 17 inches across and the space is 14 if you go onto my Instagram at True Crimes on Tuesday in the photos I put up the last one is Kendrick's dad, Kenneth. He tries to get into the same mat his son was found in. Kendrick's dad is a little bit smaller than him. His width from shoulder to shoulder isn't as long, but even so, he can't get into the mat past his neck. So there's no way that Kendrick could have got into that mat on his own. Um, also, I think there was probably, as I say, quite likely some sort of uh, interaction with someone else, which led to Kendrick being in that mat. I believe that this wasn't an, uh, a one-on-one a fight which went wrong as i say kendrick's a big lad i think he would have been able to hold his own ground against an individual person so it's very likely a group of people were present in the gym with him i believe that uh, a couple of people would have held him down whilst another person or another couple of people uh gave the very gruesome beating to uh, kendrick which left these huge bruises all over the front of his body um, the dumbbell probably does seem very likely. I'm not sure. We don't know where that really came from, that uh, that comment, because it was, of course, deemed a hoax by the police. But it does kind of seem that perhaps 
after the initial beating on Kendrick, someone then did drop a dumbbell on him, which did kill him. Uh, and then I probably think that they got one of the mats, uh, ruled it down, laid it down flat, put Kendrick on the mat. And again, as I say, these mats are six foot tall. Kendrick's a big lad. It would have had to have taken a couple of people to roll this mat back up and put it back up in the pile. Not an individual person. So I definitely believe this was a group of people who did this to Kendrick and most likely students now, former students at the high school, because uh, like I say, there was no witnesses, no uh, who heard anything or saw anything between about 1 and 3 p.m. in the gym. So it's very likely that these would have have to been students so that there was no sort of um, suspicion uh, aroused sorry, about why they were on school uh, property. Also, Kendrick didn't socialise with anyone outside of his small group of friends and family. So unless this was a really well planned out one off uh, encounter with a stranger who just killed Kendrick because of his uh, race or something like that, then, you know, which I don't think is possible, uh, then I do believe that this had to be someone from the school because like I say, Kendrick didn't socialize with anybody outside of his school and family network. So it definitely for me is a murder. Definitely has to be done by at least three people I would say and they had to have been people in the school community at the time that Kendrick was there so you know we are now in 2022 the case was actually reopened last year in 2021 because there was uh, it's such a massive case in America it's a huge civil right case in America now in the modern age and it is actually uh, one of the few uh, true crime cases true crime cool cases which still has the same amount of public attention that it did in its peak periods back in uh, the 2014 times. Um, so I do hope that one day it will get uh, uh, solved. As I say, it's just been reopened under a new police department who were investigating it properly. Uh, I hope this police department isn't as racist as the first one and do actually try to get it solved because, you know, as I, the, the family of Kendrick and all his friends from his little small group are still waking up every day not knowing what happened to their beloved uh, son, sibling, friends. Uh, it's really just, you know, it's not a nice way to have to go about life, especially since that this uh, the Johnson family have had so much shit thrown back at them over the years. It would be really nice to see them get some sort of justice and a bit of conclusion as to you know, who killed Kendrick, why and how. Um, like I say, you know, hopefully this new uh, investigation from last year does succeed in doing that. Hopefully it does rule it as a murder. It's very clear that this is murder, not an accidental death. You just can't get those bruises um, on yourself. As it says in both the two final autopsies, you know, these aren't self-inflicted injuries. These are injuries inflicted by someone else. Um, and just the whole entire, this map being six foot, uh, high being a 14 inch gap Kendrick being 17 inches tall all these bruises uh, it does just to me seem like that Kendrick was really unfortunately the victim of uh, quite a brutal attack by a group of individuals so hopefully it does get solved in the next coming years and with that guys I just want to say a big thank you for being here with me today for this episode really sorry again that it took so long for this episode to get up on the internet there is actually no music in this episode as well i do apologize for that like i say the technology um has just been so stressful to try and sort out over the weekend uh but i will hopefully as we get on with these episodes get them better there will definitely be music in it next week for you guys but until next week you know remember guys to stay alert no one's invincible this could happen to anyone at any point it doesn't have to be because of someone you know killing you it can be a complete and utter stranger we do live in this modern age where we walk past millions of strangers you know every week so 
please guys just you know keep alert stay safe and if you enjoyed this episode then please follow me on true crimes on tuesdays on instagram get involved with the uh the weekly polls for the next episode dm me if you've got any cases you want me to check out and hopefully cover one day and with that guys thank you very much for being here and see you all next week <laughs>